Welcome back into another episode of We're Talking Tonight. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. How are we doing tonight, Danny? Buddy, great to see you. Thanks for having me as always. Oh, it's always good uh, to spend some time together. Um, you know, uh, Old Dominion at Arkansas State, that, that was a game to me that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, just the way Arkansas State's playing again, I don't think they're great, but I think they have a they have a better team than what they have. What were your thoughts on the game, and what did you see out of that? Well, Arkansas State getting up twelve nothing on the road is usually at least partly a good sign. But in conference play, we know it's the fun belt for a reason, and ultimately, Old Dominion holds up at home in its Sun Belt Conference debut. I know that much has been made about the struggles of their offense, but they do have the league's best tight end in Zach Coons. He had a really good game. They also have the league's best wide receiver at this point in Ali Jennings. There are teams that would dispute that, but he's number two in the country in receiving yards right now. So there's not a whole lot of an argument that you can make. And the game was decided early in the fourth quarter, I think, on a defensive touchdown, a pick six by defensive lineman D.D. Harris. Old Dominion is a team that's going to be very bothersome for whomever they play because of all the established programs in this league. They're one of the new guys, but even a Marshall, people know that Marshall's established. They know that even though Southern Miss has struggled, they are still strong, as they showed last week, coming back from multiple scores down to beat a two-lane team that just beat Kansas State. And with James Madison, I'm sure we'll talk about them in a minute. Look what just they they just did up in Boone and look at what they've done the last decade or so in the FCS, but for Old Dominion, I don't think that they are going to earn enough respect simply by who is around them. And I don't think that that's fair. Maybe it is to a degree, but that's a program that has the right coach. Ricky Ronnie is an outstanding guy for that program. They're dealing with a new offensive coordinator upon a new offensive coordinator because Dave Padnode resigned right before the season started. They've got Kevin Reiner running their offense. He's only 30 years old, but as sharp as can be, he's worked with coach Ronnie for a number of years. So it appeared that he was the guy that was going to be tasked with that offense if something like that happened. I, I think that they're going to be a thorn for whomever they play, regardless of who the opponent is. And even though Arkansas State is better, I think that that culture is realizing that five straight league championships is a long time ago. This is a much different league now, and to a degree, you can kind of tell Georgia Southern fans that. And I don't like saying it that way. Eagles won a conference title in 2014, which in year one in a new league, remarkably impressive, but it's a much different league now. What I will say is whoever wins this league, not just this year, but going forward, they're going to have a lot of clout, not just around this circuit, but around college football, because people are realizing in other leagues just how good the Sun Belt is now. And that's a really great thought. If you look at the statistics here, uh, and I told you first downs, 22 to 12, rushing yards, 112 to 51, passing yards, 285 to 279, total yards, 397 to 330. Uh, what was the last one? I, think, I believe time of possession, 38 minutes to 21. <clears throat> You'd say the first team that I mentioned in all those statistics, maybe not a blowout, but comfortable comfortable win yeah and and now i mean but again defensive touchdowns yeah I, I forgot who i was talking to one time but talked about how defensive scores and even for that 
uh, special team scores almost count for two scores because it's just it's a big momentum changer is is that is that putting it maybe too simplistic no and i think it's a great point because one you are stealing a possession from the opponent and two you're putting points on the board without your offense having to break a sweat it just you know that's what the the whole game there to me was so fascinating about just looking at things i'm a numbers guy i'm a baseball guy so naturally i'm a numbers guy and and you are too we dig into those things we like to hit them uh you know it's just it, it to me it's really really just strange but uh but old dominion has fo- found a way to win over the course of not just this season but going back to last season once they announced that they were coming to the Sun Belt. And for future reference, it's the Stun Belt now. All right. Danny doesn't like that one. It, it, I, I'm, I'm partial to Fun Belt. I'm not. And actually, the you, you do know the, the Sun Belt has not used that tagline for about four years now. Healthy disagreements is what makes a good podcast. Yeah, you, you, I, I agree. And that's why I have you on, because even though you're wrong, you give a different opinion. <laughs> you start to sound more and more like Jay every day. Uh, no, that would <laughs> You brought up JMU. Let's talk about JMU. And I know the fans at South uh, Georgia Southern and those, those around Atlanta don't want to hear the score 28 to 3 ever again. No, but, but uh app state uh 20 the only thing that could have been better is if it would have happened to georgia state if they would have been up 28 to 3 that'd be, cruel. Lost. That'd be way too cruel so we're not gonna go there this time and i've got to stop laughing okay 28 to 3 lead uh and, and not quite going into the half but jmu scored that touchdown going in at, at halftime uh to me what the, the the upset wasn't to me as big as holding app at home to no points in the second half well i mean is that what's your thoughts on the game though i mean i, I know i'm making it very simplistic here but for them to the, them to go out the way they did jmu dominated the, the second half of the game I'm sorry, in front of 3,300 uh, 3, fans at, uh, at uh, Kid, Kid Brewer. So what, what did JMU do right after the big lead? I know they came out, they scored first, but, but for a while there, it, it seemed like Apple was going to run away with the game. How did, how did uh, JMU stop that? They stopped the run. App couldn't run the ball. And for a team – and a culture, they run the football, there's there's a stat that I've kept track of. Since App has joined the Sun Belt, when they have to throw more than 39 passes in a game, they've won twice in eight years. When they can't run and they are forced to throw, whether they are throwing it more last year when Frank Pons was calling plays, they definitely threw it a little bit more. But with Kevin Barbe now running the offense, he was at Central Michigan. They had the nation's leading rusher last year in Lou Nichols. 
if App is ineffective with its run game, they don't win. It's very, very simple. Yeah, I'm just looking at that 63 yards rushing, and I agree with you. That's what the that's what the Cajuns were able to do uh, last year at Cajun Field against them. That's it. So very interesting. I I hadn't noticed that before, but uh, I understand there. Is is JMU? Is it wrong that JMU can play in the Sun Belt Conference Championship game, but can't is not eligible for a bowl game? Well, I think you're kind of splitting the difference because typically it'd be a two-year waiver period when you bump up a level. JMU's only getting one year. So, yeah, this year might be your your experimentation year, your try-things-out year. You could still have a great record, which it seems they're trending that way, even though you're not going to play in the postseason. But ordinarily, and in, look, in the case of Georgia Southern, when they moved up, and same for App, 2013, you were an FCS independent in effect because you could win the Southern Conference. 2014, couldn't go to the postseason, could still win a league title. And that's what the Eagles did. They went eight in the conference. Nobody had done that before. They celebrated their first league championship in the Sun Belt. But that was a two-year waiver. For JMU, this is the only year that they're considered ineligible to earn postseason play. So... From the standpoint of the program and the future, I'm guessing that ultimately they're okay with it be going from two years to one year because next year, if they keep anything even close to where it is now, they're going to be assuming to go to a bowl game. And they'll make that money back that they're not going to be benefiting from this year. They also don't get a full share of the media rights this year because they're not technically a full member. So you've got 13 full shares from the media money and a 14th share that gets pared down because, one, they're only playing 11 games, and, two, they can't go to a bowl game, and they can't bring in that extra money for the conference. I did not know that part, um, and I did not know that it has been reduced from two to one year. I just feel like if you're playing at this level, you should have that opportunity to do it. And I'm not saying they're going to win the championship by any means. I'm just saying, you know, if, if, if they're doing well right now. And look, Georgia Southern eight years ago put a waiver in. They said, look, we're nine and three. We're eight no in conference. Can we please go to a bowl game? Because eight years ago, there wasn't a conference championship game. The best record in the league won the league. But the NCAA, they said, no, it was a stringent process. You can't do that. So it was okay. But Georgia Southern in 15, nine more wins, went to a bowl game, got the experience of a lifetime going down to Mobile and being the tar out of Bowling Green in the GoDaddy Bowl. So it was a year's worth of a wait. Two years, if you want to talk about guys that were still on the team that were there in 13, but a lot of fans would tell you that they still remember the championship in 14, and they will always remember that. But the ability to be patient and wait for 15 to make a memory like that to where the program had come from 40 years ago, that, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. I, I agree. And uh, moving on from – well. Before we move on from App State and JMU, is it surprising? Now, am I wrong here that they have Robert Morris and Citadel on App State, so they have two FCS programs? Yes. So I, I, I don't get it, but, I mean, I know they've got a pretty good non-conference schedule with, with Texas A&M and North Carolina. Now, but... something to think about, 
if it comes to this, I highly doubt it does. But if App needs a seventh win to be bowl eligible, you can only count one of those FCS games. Right. You can't count them both. And I'll be honest with you, I looked up, I didn't know where Robert Morris was from. I assumed Virginia with all the other founding fathers named, but just right outside of Pittsburgh with yeah. with with your which which still seems a little odd to be on the western side of the state. I, and that's just me. You know, when you think of the uh the the founding fathers in there, I think of the East Coast more so than western well, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, Philly's on the other side of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh Southwest, Philly Southeast. They're one's here, one's there. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a rivalry. And some people want to try to tie it into baseball, but the Phillies and the Pirates aren't in the same division anymore. They were for years before baseball realigned. The Steelers and the Eagles play in separate conferences. They see each other here and there with hockey. Yeah, I almost say that hockey would be the most intense between the Steelers and the Flyers. But it, it, it's just uh... – and I don't even want to talk about baseball right now. Your 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 pirates took four from my Reds, which was disappointing for the yes, fact nobody that nobody was there to see it either. Well, no, I so I text one of my buddies actually. I said seven hundred people were announced. I mean, come on. And and I believe I watched all those games except for I, I forgot the one game yesterday's game, I believe was a day game. Yes. And I didn't get to see it. But there were I said I said the only good thing about the Reds losing to the to the Pirates in Pittsburgh is that there were only 500 people there to see it. And I'm going, I got to laugh at something because oh my gosh, I, I just felt like the Reds had to be competitive in those types of games. I know it's the end of the season; neither team's going to the playoffs. But at the same time, you want to be competitive against those type of teams at at that time of year. I guess light teams, so which they weren't. So never mind. Okay. Moving on from uh, app state and Robert Morris and now uh, reds and pirates baseball that nobody gives a shit about because they're in the shitter, but okay. Uh, sorry if you have kids in the car and you're listening, but uh, we went there South Alabama against the dog killers of Louisiana tech. Uh, I, I don't know that uh it's one game that I was hoping for a stomp down. And by all accounts is what it was. Uh, Louisiana tech fumbled the ball uh, five times. It seems though Louisiana tech usually has a knack against getting up for Sunbelt conference team. So that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Any surprise on your part there? Uh, maybe that Louisiana, I, I expected South to win the game. Maybe that Louisiana Tech didn't stay closer because I know what they think about themselves. And I know that everybody else in the league knows what they think about themselves. And part of the reason why they were not invited back is because of what they think about themselves. But that's, that's just how that is. And it's over and done with now. But I, I think that South Alabama really has something this year. And I, I think that it took them a while to get to the point where expectations and reality finally match up because for years they always had the talent, but they would either suffer injuries, guys would get booted, and they actually booted off two of their linemen from the team this week. But Kane Womack was the right guy, the home run hire. Dr. Joel Erdman deserves credit for making the easiest decision of his tenure, I would say, to bring him down from Indiana. They've got everything in place now. They've got their quarterback. They've got their breakaway running back. They've got a strong defense. 
as long as they can just stay the course. Now, of course, they've got the capability to just South Alabama everywhere and let it fall off the table and miss the postseason because it's what they've done, and it's unfortunate that it's happened. But you would ask anybody there the same thing, and it's it's become the norm. They think they're good. Something happens. Multiple things happen, and they don't get to where they think they should be. But this weekend's going to tell me and tell them a lot about themselves. If they can go to Cajun Field and win your 4-1, and one, you're at that point probably going to a bowl game. You only need to win two of your last seven. And I would say that makes them the clear front runner in the West if they go to the, go to the Cajuns and win. Absolutely. Uh, we're not willing to hand it over to them yet, but I totally agree with you. Um, you know, the, the, they started the game with a, with a, touch, uh, a kickoff return for a touchdown, which was called back then proceeded four plays to go down and just in four plays scored uh, 80 yards, I believe. Uh, then the next wasn't next possession. Wasn't even a drive. They Colin Lacey returns the punt return for a touchdown. And they're all of a sudden they're up 14, nothing again. I think that goes to that point that we were making earlier with the defense or the special team scoring a touchdown. I, I it's not so much that it counts double like, like we were talking, but it, I think it's, and it helps your offense stay off the team, but it, it's a dagger. It's it's a momentum there that really uh, stops the other team from feeling like they can win. I guess so. But what what I mean, their quarterback is one of the positions that they've been missing. Uh, what is your thought on his play so far this season? Their norm has been the transfer quarterback, and this goes back to when they joined the league. I think their first quarterback was Brandon Bridge, and he was at least there for multiple years. But outside of that, it's been a lot of one-year guys, and oftentimes those guys either don't live up or they get hurt and they're trying to patch together. They get injured on the offensive and defensive lines. They struggle to tackle. It just seems that these things keep happening to them. But to start this year, Carter Bradley, I think, is better than what they believe. They always talked about his immense arm talent and being able to throw the ball anywhere. He's outperforming expectations. The offensive line, despite having to kick two guys off the team this week, and they also kicked a running back off the team this week, so it's clear that Kane Womack isn't standing for things that don't help his program move forward. But the running back they've got now is, if some if he sticks, he's going to end up being the best running back they've ever had. Xavier Johnson was really good in the early in the middle part of the 20th or I guess the the middle part of the teens I guess you would say Trey uh, Trey Minter is a Georgia guy from Sly County that was a multi-purpose guy could run could catch could be in the return game but Ladanian Webb is the most versatile running back they've ever had a guy that's been star-crossed in his career he actually had two separate injuries in the offseason but he's finally healthy and it's scary to watch him on film and realize that, whoa, South has their guys now. This is what everybody in the league was fearing because everybody has talked about their ability if they got it. Because where they are from a recruiting standpoint, they can reach out to Texas and Louisiana without having to put a whole lot of effort in. They've got their on-campus stadium now. They've got their students fired up about football. They've got their indoor that's right behind the stadium their infrastructure is the best now than it has ever been from a football standpoint. And if they can keep it going on the field, just like it was earlier, especially with Bradley, they've got the running game, but if Bradley just stays the course, 
maybe they win nine or ten games. I, I, I think that they have a chance to be that good. I, I agree. They're they're scary good, in my opinion. Uh, we'll learn a lot about them, or at least the Cajun fans will learn a lot about them this weekend. Um, moving on, how how uh, Marshall at Troy? It, did everybody expect too much from Marshall? I mean, I oh. thought they would be. I, I mean, seven points at Troy. And that was in the third quarter. Craig, that defense is really, really good. Okay. That's that's a really good defense. I I, I Troy is one of those, I won't say enigmas to me because you never know. Troy has always been a team that that that's been at the top of the league, similar to Arkansas State, and then went before before the new guys came in, and I say the new guys in Georgia Southern App State and Georgia State. But uh, but before that, it, it was it was Troy and uh, it was Troy and Arkansas State's to win, and uh, but but lately Troy's been now I know new coach and everything, so is this year one still? I'm sorry, I should yeah, know this that. Is first year. Yeah. So, but but back their defense is really good. So, but is is Marshall after the win at Notre Dame and then the loss to to the bowling green i mean that was a bad loss oh to bowling green absolutely and they know it and to go to troy for their first conference game and i actually talked to barry mcknight early in the week i said i, I think you're going to win that game not that marshall wasn't going to go there and capable of doing it. i just thought that troy being at home with that kind of crowd and i know how marshall travels they have a fantastic fan base but that's a game that's set up very well for Troy because I thought that Marshall's hangover was going to continue. And even though Kalen Laburn has been a really good fill-in for Rasheen Ali, and I don't know for Marshall when he's going to be able to come back, but Laburn's already had 400-yard games, and I don't think anybody in Marshall history has ever run for 400-yard games to start his career. Another former Florida State guy. Troy is one of those teams that you don't want to sleep on. They're not as trendy as south alabama is but if they get it they become the front runners in the west because i think that they have a higher ceiling than south alabama does because of that defense now offensively you know they're going to throw the ball a lot gutter watson's averaging well over 300 yards per game the running game depending on who they're playing it's going to be hit or miss i believe that troy's got a higher ceiling because They've got, I think, the league's best defense. Well, and and that's why when I when I did my picks before the season started, to me, Troy was the team to beat in the West. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But 421 yards to 174. I guess I'm just I'm used to Marshall putting up points and doing things like that. That's what. That's what, and, and that's not to disc. I mean, I don't want to discount because I do think Troy's defense is scary. So, as long as number two is in the middle of that defense, that that's a tough bet because he's he's going to break the FBS record record for all time tackles. I'm talking about Carlton Marshall. He broke the Sun Belt record last weekend, beating Brian London from Texas State in total tackles. And I think they put a picture of his helmet on social media because they wore their black helmets and. By the end of the game, the paint had chipped off about half of it, so you could see the white undercoat 
under oh. the black paint. So if you want to try to mess with Troy's defense, just understand that that's what you're dealing with. Okay. Uh, I'm just, I mean, I say I'm glad we have him here, but at the same time, I'm not sure that's going to make a difference at, at, by that time. Um, Southern Miss, Tulane. Good for Southern Miss. Oh, I, I'm happy again because Tulane's a team, although we did just sign another two-game contract with them that does not want to play us, and they're in the state of Louisiana. And we did we did sign a two-year contract with uh, the dog killers up at Louisiana Tech. But, you know, it's one of those things that I think it's good for the state to have those games like that because Cajun fans bring in a lot of fans, just as I bet you Southern Miss did to Tulane this past weekend. Uh, but uh, it's got to be a shocker after uh, Tulane came in 4 0. Yeah, and I think that Southern Miss ended up going to its backup quarterback as well because remember when Ty Keys got hurt a couple of weeks ago, he came back, but I think that they ended up replacing him. The For Tulane, though, it really similar to Marshall. You go up and beat Notre Dame, and I'm not saying Kansas State is Notre Dame, but you go beat a Power 5 team, and maybe you've got that false sense of who you are, but – I'll liken it to Georgia Southern going to Nebraska and winning and then taking on UAB. People thinking should have run over – UAB was better than Nebraska. UAB is a lot better than Nebraska. Power run game, very good defense, had a really good game plan against Georgia Southern. And to a degree, maybe that's what Tulane dealt with, but they were up two scores. But then Southern Miss blocked a punt. They used special teams to change the game. They got Will Hall's most impressive victory. They tried to dump him with – the water jug, he ran away from it. Then he started hugging his players. I don't know if there's any coach in this league that loves his players more than Will Hall does, but it is infectious. I want them to win because I think that he is the perfect guy for that job. He's a Mississippi native. I know he was with you guys, and he was with Tulane. He spent time in West Georgia. I think that he might be the coach that best fits the situation in this league, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where they go. Georgia Southern is a play of them this year. I'm looking forward to that one, whatever they do, but, but I'm excited to see Southern Miss be good again because I think they deserve to be. I agree uh, with with everything you say, but the question I have was he running from the water because of the pictures from the Miami game where he was sweating through his shirt? Give the man a t-shirt. Make I'll whatever argument. It. Make whatever argument you want to about that one. No, but but it goes back to all right. So first downs twenty six thirteen rushing two hundred four to fifty nine passing two forty seven. Uh, to 194 and then the big stat of the game 36 minutes to 24 again if I tell you that team has on the first one I, I read off there you you think they went they they went a game with the uh, away with the game easily but they don't that's two lanes numbers so I just and for a baseball guy that loves stats it just drives me nuts you should be able but to the point we go back again, special teams did their job and defense did their job. So. If you are not special at special teams, you will get found out. Yep. It is going to cost you at least one, if not two games every year if you do not value your special teams. Don't care how good your offense is, how good your defense is. If your special teams are not up to snuff, you are going to lose at least a game or two every year. Yeah, and uh, Frank Gore, who uh, has had a pretty good career at Southern Miss, only 44 yards and 16 attempts. Uh, so, I mean, but again, it goes back to it's a team game and it's not a, a one 
dynamic game. Everyone wants to blame or praise the quarterback or the running back, but there, there are three facets to the game. Uh, so congratulations to Southern Miss. I, I, I love the win. You got to be careful, though, when you're talking about quarterbacks with Southern Miss, because at the end of last year, Frank Gore was their quarterback. They had to go to the Superback because of all those injuries. So you got to be careful with not saying he's not a quarterback now. No, but we were at uh, Liberty on the night before on Friday night, and that was, uh, I believe they they played, uh, oh, they played Louisiana Tech on Friday night, and everybody came up to us and asked us why we were cheering for uh, Southern Miss. So that was an awesome game to watch. Three different quarterbacks in. I think all three of them uh, threw touchdown passes, and all three were running backs. So, all right, y'all game. How, Ball State, member of the MAC, in my, in my memory? That is correct. So, uh, Anderson, Louisiana, uh, Indiana? Muncie. Muncie, which Anderson is right by there. So I'm sorry. I lived in uh, Indiana. No, they, they are very, they're, they're, I think they're with only about 20 miles from each other, uh, Anderson and Muncie. I'll let you know next year when we go there. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, spent some time up there. Did, did actually work before I lived up there, worked on a project that went from Indianapolis to Muncie. So we went through Anderson. But uh, let's talk about your game. How did how did your team perform? What you know, everything statistically looks fairly close again. Uh, what was the difference maker in that game, though? Uh, the last seven minutes, because Georgia Southern blew a ten point lead. Ball State got a field goal to go ahead, but then right around midway through the fourth quarter, Anthony Beck is punting from close to midfield. He pins Ball State inside the ten yard line. I think they're starting at their eight. Georgia Southern's defense forces a three and out. Ball State has a bad punt. Eagles get the ball at the 43. They get the go-ahead touchdown to J.J. McAfee, who made the transition from wide out to tight end. His first career score took the lead back. Ball State had to punt again. Georgia Southern got another touchdown with just under two minutes left. And then Ball State threw a pick on its final drive, and that was it. They It was a pretty even game throughout I think Georgia Southern was able to do what they wanted to on offense for the most part, but – they kept kicking field goals. Ball State never stopped kicking field goals once they got in the red zone. They did have a really nice 19-yard touchdown pass on a third down play, which tied the game at 20. I think that was late in the third quarter. But when the Eagles, their last two drives, when they got touchdowns, they were at their best when they had to be. Ball State never figured out how to consistently get into the end zone because they had to kick three field goals. Nice win. Uh, like I said, I, I think those are must-win games. Not necessarily must-win. That's probably a little bit, but must-win games for uh, against MAC and conference DOA teams. So, uh, congratulations on that, uh, Danny. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about next week. And I've got a, another question about baseball for you. Okay. Uh, and uh, we'll be right back after this. You're listening. To We're talking with Craig Melanson and Danny Reed of the jo Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome back into We're Talking Tonight. Craig Melanson and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Danny, uh, this is a game that is very intriguing to me 
because uh, ULM at Arkansas State, uh, I really want to know how Arkansas State advances. They got a home game. Uh, generally, the, the fans up there support their team. Uh, ULM heading up there after a big win uh, against the Cajuns uh, this past weekend. Uh, it's, it's teams that have traditionally, not traditionally, since Georgia Southern and App State have joined the league, have been near the bottom of the league standings. What's your thoughts on that game? I think it's been forever since ULM went there and won. You'd have to you'd have to check me on that one. But um, in a year ago, I think that ULM was four and four, and then they lost their last four games. Otherwise, they would have been able to go bowling potentially with Terry Bowden. I think we've talked about ULM before, and I don't like to put it this way, but if this is a 14-team conference, ULM is probably the 14th team. And I think that a lot of people at ULM would admit that. We know that they lack the resources. We, they, they lack the money. They've got one of the bigger stadiums in the league. I think that their basketball program under Keith Richard has done really well, and I've talked with Keith. I, I think he's a fantastic guy, and I think that he has been such a benefit to this league from his time at Louisiana Tech and now back at ULM. I think he's done amazing work, and even their baseball Mike Federico was the right hire. They have been a more than respectable team with their brand. With football, though, it, it's just – it seems like 2012 was a long time ago for them because that, that's the year they went to Arkansas and won. That was their only bowl appearance, and I think they've been in the FBS since 94. And that tells – that lets me say that they're the 14th team. That doesn't mean that there's not good people there. That doesn't mean that they're not capable, but – they just haven't done enough to say, we're here. We're in this league. Recognize us. And I know that Arkansas State has struggled, but from a perspective of what a program in this league is historically, if you're ULM, if you're stepping up to the plate, you got to win this game. This is a more important game to ULM than it is Arkansas State. Now, Arkansas State needs to get on track but they also know that they've had five league championships while ULM hasn't even snipped one. If you are going to be a threat in the West, if you're ULM, you got to win this game. I agree. I, I, one of the largest stadiums, I, I'm, I'm sure, but at the same time, I think definitely the highest press box. At least it for- is. It is. You, you, you shake hands with, with angels. It is way up there. You get a chance to see if clouds are really made of cotton or things like that. But I love I love the trip there. Nick and Mike are outstanding people. Uh, they they are they're deserving of a winner because they go through it probably more than other any other program in this league. And maybe maybe they discovered something because for them beating the Cajuns is pretty close to a Super Bowl. But you got to make sure that this week isn't a hangover, especially going on the road to a place that's tough to win, regardless of where Arkansas State is in the standings. Yeah, I was able to also meet uh, Desmond Lighton, who's the uh, color guy for uh, ULM on the uh, TV broadcast now with Nick White. So a very nice young man who played at McNeese when McNeese came uh, to Cajun Field and, and beat the Cajuns for the last time that uh, that happened. So, By the way, I, I had completely forgotten that Matt Viator was on your staff. Yeah. And I, what I was scrolling through, I, I love to see it because I think Matt is Matt's an outstanding guy. 
he is just great. He is, and uh, it, it was great to, to hear uh, Desmond talk about Matt and also uh, uh, Tim Leger, uh, on that are on both on the Cajun staff now. And Matt was at McNeese and at ULM, so Desmond had some fond memories of their time at McNeese. So, no, absolutely. Um, Texas State at James Madison, what do they have to do to beat James Madison? Well, I knew that was a loaded question. Ooh, uh, well, I think Jake Spavadol uh, put it pretty succinctly on Monday during the teleconference. He said, what impressed you about James Madison's defense? He says, everything impresses me. <laughs> he didn't, you didn't say any, anything to single about, but the, I, I know JMU has played an FCS team, but they've also played App State, which makes this a little bit impressive. They've played three games. They have not given up 100 rushing yards total. They're giving up less than a yard per carry in their first three games. Now, I know the Texas State may have found a little bit of a running game earlier this year, but because I think Hill went for over 200 yards a couple of weeks back. Yep. But the, if you're James Madison, you're trying to handle success a little bit, even though you're a team that has won – FCS championships and basically punched a ticket to the semifinals every year, regardless of what the schedule looks like. So th this is a, this is probably a prove me game for JMU to back up that three and O start. And even if you're Texas state similar to ULM, they're, they're an afterthought in the West, even though they've got everything in place, not like a ULM. I think Texas state has everything in place and they're building more facilities. They announced that within the last couple of months, they are trying to add to the experience at Bobcat Stadium in San Marcos. So if Jake Spavadol is going to make it past this year, this is a box that you probably have to check. And even though this is a show me game for JMU, Texas State needs this game more than James Madison does, because if things continue to go south for the Bobcats, they're probably looking at another regime change. And I don't like thinking of it that way. I think Spav is a phenomenal guy. I've talked with him in media days multiple times. I think he is one of the sharpest offensive minds in this country for whatever reason. Things have not clicked there yet. But if, if they don't get at least a couple, if they don't start stringing something together in this midseason and try to get to a bowl game, which they haven't been to since they moved up, it, it's going to be tough to justify giving him more time. Yeah, I just, in my opinion, they go too much with the transfer portal and bringing guys in that uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's chemistry or what. I think you can do that on defense a little more than you can on offense, but that's just my two cents, and it's probably a lie anyway. So, I, I do think that he runs a program really well, but it, it, it seems like they've got a little bit of South Alabama in them that something always seems to go wrong, an injury, a penalty. They might pick next. They actually picked off South Alabama last year in San Marcos. Jaguars were up 14 late in that game, and Texas State ends up winning in four overtimes. And that was right before Georgia Southern went to Mobile on a Thursday night to play South, wondering where their medal today was going to be. Well, they beat the beat the you know what out of the Eagles that night on national television. But if you're Texas State and you're going to show any kind of consistency, you can't keep doing this game of pong where you're back and forth one week to say okay we're there then we're not we're there then we're not you, you got to show some consistency at some point so we're five weeks we're going to be starting the the fifth week of the season here and coming in this weekend 
is this a must must win for Georgia State at Army? I mean, for them to have any type of season? Well, I, I know I've said these certain teams have to win games. I hate using the term must win because if you're not treating every game as a must win, what are you doing? You only get 12 right. of them. You're only guaranteed 12 of them. The way I'll put it is if Georgia State doesn't win that game, I know what they did last year winning seven of their last eight, but as tough as the East is going to be and considering how much they still have left in the division, that's going to get really tough for them really fast. If they don't at least say our feet are set, our jaw is set, let's go. Is there a coach on the hot seat at all? I mean, I don't know. I don't live in that area. Okay. And I know you don't follow them like you would another team for various reasons. Look, Sean's a great dude too. He's another guy we speak to every year at media days. Being in the same state, it's funny because we fly out of Atlanta airport frequently to go places. And in media day, three of the last four years, we've actually run into him at the terminal. So he's been on our flight when we've gone down to New Orleans. So we end up talking for a little bit. How's this program doing? How's our program doing? The thing that makes this league really good is the quality of people that are in this league, the coaches, the players, the support staff, the administration, all across the league. It is really good to be in this league. And even though Georgia State is not a team that's going to sit at the same dinner table as Georgia Southern, Sean Elliott's a first-class guy. And if, if But if they don't win that game, it, it's it's going to get tough. Yeah. I, I don't know how each administration deals with, uh, with with wins and losses and seasons. So, and I don't know how long he has left on his contract either. So, uh, Liberty at Old Dominion. This this is a game uh, just strictly because it's an out of conference game that intrigues me. With Old Dominion seem to playing well at times, and Liberty. I know Liberty's not the team they were last year necessarily, but the same. Sometimes Liberty has a name and is going into conference DOA. Uh, does who's the who? Who do you think comes out with the win there? Liberty's going to be favored, and I, I couldn't tell you by how much because I haven't checked that out. But I do know that Old Dominion is going to be in just about every game that they play because of their defense. I think their defense is one that will not get enough credit in this league because like we talked about before, Old Dominion doesn't get the respect in the East Division because everybody else that's in the East Division, there's a lot of heavy hitters in the East. And Old Dominion probably has to play prove me football more each week than anybody else just to get that what should be necessary exposure. And this is this is a game that I think would catch some people's attention because Liberty has played a number of teams in the Sun Belt. And even though Malik Willis is in the NFL now, this is still a, a program that is, is one that is more than capable of handling a Sun Belt team. And at least if you're old dominion, you're not worrying about excessive travel because it's another team that's in state. I think they played every division one team in the state of Virginia this year now, but th- this would be a nice, this would be a nice litmus test for them before they jump back in the league play next week. Isn't that great, though? I mean, that you can have so many teams and and play each other. And I know it's not that's not going to happen every year, but I have to believe that that's good for all the programs within that state. So, and it's you're lucky that you've got programs that want to play you, because I know the issues that in the state of Louisiana, you guys have trouble 
getting games against state teams. And the easy argument is to keep the money within the state, but the higher teams or some teams don't view it that way. And I'll say in, in Georgia, Eagles played Georgia Tech back in 2016, but those games have probably been too close for comfort in two of those three years. So I don't think the Jackets will be looking at the Eagles anytime soon. Georgia has said that they will not be playing Georgia Southern anytime soon after the Eagles went to Athens and took them to overtime in 2015. But I will say that coming up that Georgia Southern is playing Kennesaw State in 2025. I know that's an FCS team, but that's a really good FCS team that's going to be coming to Paulson Stadium. So to, to play in-state teams definitely helps publicize the quality of play in the state. Certainly from a civic standpoint, you can publicize the state any way you want to when it comes to football because it's that big in our area. But I, I wish that more states valued it that way and you could make scheduling a lot easier than some places make it out to be. I agree. Um, Troy heading up to Western Kentucky. I mean, do we even know what Western Kentucky is? I mean, they beat a very bad Hawaii team. They lost, I think, to a bad Indiana team. And then Trounce, which has got to be the worst FBS program around, FIU 73 to nothing. Uh, do, yeah, that's do a we, conference game, too. That That's scary. Yeah, I mean. And I'm that's just, the team that's going to the AAC next year. Oh. <laughs> is, it, is it them or Florida Atlantic? They're both going. Oh, they are? Yeah, because it's, it's a market deal. Oh, okay. That's right. And, yeah. and, I, and that's and that's where the Sun Belt has excelled. Not yeah. chasing markets, chasing good programs, athletic programs. Not just football, but athletic programs. I, I think Troy and Western Kentucky is going to go one of two ways. It is either going to be a shootout because – as good as Troy's defense is, Western Kentucky still has the elements of that explosive offense that Brian Ellis was part of last year. Bailey Zappi was there. Zach Hidley was there. And now he's calling plays at Texas Tech. Or this is going to be a knuckle-scraping 10-6 to kind of game. I, I don't know if it's a 24-21 game. I think it's an offensive explosion for both because both want to throw the football a lot or it's a low-scoring game because the defenses take over. Okay. Now, oh, the one I've been avoiding. South Alabama visiting the Cajuns. What do the Cajuns it's, need it's to do? It's therapeutic to talk about it. Just we can talk I about know. this. I I and I and I'm sorry that I have to keep asking you every week. Please talk Cajun fans off the ledge, but but man, I think some of us are ready to I I I won't say jump, but man. What what do the Cajuns need to do to beat South Alabama? Look, you could playfully blame Billy Napier for all the success, for the for the winning streak and all that, and being able to win your first two and get it to 15. But it's 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 leveled off a little bit because the standard was so high for so long. But different teams operate in different ways relative to their schedule and like with what Georgia Southern has this week with Coastal. Coastal lost almost everybody off that defense last year. Their defense looks completely different than it did in 21. But they're 4-0 because they found ways to win. The three times that they have trailed in the second half, two of those were in the fourth quarter. They won those games. For the Cajuns, you need to find a game 
that you can prove that you're not reverting to the end of the Hudspeth era. And look, I don't mean to turn Cajun fans more red than the color that you already wear, but I know that's what people are thinking about because Napier didn't lose games. After 2018, you guys didn't lose games. I know the first year was 7-7, seven and seven, but there weren't losses those last three years. There just weren't. And you immediately want to think of how bad it was at the end of the Mark Hudspeth era when he got let go and Billy was hired. This would still be a game to show that the Cajuns are the team to beat in the West, but a loss in this game means that you're 0-2 in conference and South Alabama improves to 4-1, and but it is still short of halfway through the season. Still, that storm for South Alabama is gaining a lot of momentum. They're pulling at other storms. There's a chance that they could wreck the rest of the season and nobody in the West is going to know what hit them. The Cajuns, because they're home, there's still this feeling that with Chris Smith in the backfield, with enough guys on that defense that you know and that perform, that for people to say the season's lost because you're two and two, that, that's a little bit out there. You can certainly be upset because 15 straight wins have turned into back-to-back losses. But home turf in the Sun Belt needs to be valuable for a reason, especially when you're the defending champions. You know, I, I think if these two, the la- this game and the last game against ULM, if they were reversed where we played South Alabama first and lost, I think there would still be some some gnashing of teeth and doing all that. But I think Cajun fans would still think, okay, we've got an opportunity here against ULM because they think we should dominate ULM in everything that we should never lose, which is not realistic. But uh, it's uh, this is going to be a tough game, and it's going to tell a lot about the Cajuns' grit. And I'm not saying it's going to be a season-ending thing if they lose, but more than likely their chances of repeating as West champions is probably gone. You can stub your toe once, but don't break your foot. Exactly. Well, you brought it up just a second ago, Georgia Southern and Coastal, the last game I want to talk about. Uh, you're playing in Conway, a, a team at 4-0 and in Coastal, in my opinion, but just watching the game through a stats tracker and all that, that has been very lucky to come out 4-0. and And you can save lucky if you want, the fact is they are four and oh what does georgia southern need to do to go up there to be coastal uh probably bring some umbrellas because the game time has already been moved to 7 p.m to try to counteract ian but the good news is the forecast for conway and myrtle beach on saturday looks pretty good i think the major stuff is going to blow through on friday so that's why the team isn't leaving until saturday and they actually push to get the game moved to sunday but once the league realized that this game wasn't going to be able to be played till four because Georgia Southern could travel on Friday. It competitive advantage would have been way too much for the Shauna clears league stepped in and say, all right, we got to compromise. You got to move the game back. We need to level this out. So Georgia Southern's not going to be getting out of town until Saturday morning and how they're going to be able to mentally stay locked in will be a key. What the weather does, I know I said it's going to be good, but if anything is disadvantageous, whoever handles that better 
is Coastal finally going to meet meet the Reaper from the luck that they have guarded the first couple of weeks? Is Georgia Southern for real? Are the Eagles going to be 1-0 in conference, 4-1 overall, and two wins away from a bowl game in Clay Helton's first year, winning in Conway for, for the first time since 2018? Will Coastal stop Georgia Southern's pass? Will the Eagles stop the Coastal run? It's 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 an intriguing game on a lot of different fronts, and that doesn't even include what Hurricane Ian is still going to do to that area over the next twenty four to thirty six hours. Yeah, it, you, as Cajun fans, we've know we know what it's like to have to move a game and everything like that. So. Uh... Sorry to hear that's happening and wish everyone in uh, Florida, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, and anyone that's affected because it looks like it's going to take a little dip offshore into the Atlantic and then come back yeah. in and hit ground, that's right. which is what uh, Hurricane Katrina did. Hit the Florida Panhandle, went back into the Gulf, and then came back and caused uh, havoc. So, But no, uh, for selfish reasons, I'm kind of happy. Uh, the game's moved back to seven, which is still six our time, but I should be able to catch the second half of that game, which I think is going to be a very good football game. So. In, in some ways, I think it's going to be the game of the week in the league because it's two East teams. And for Coastal, I don't know that they have a rival in this league. I mean, yeah, I'll say the Cajuns for obvious reasons, but I don't know that they have one close enough to them, which is why the league realigning helps because – a James Madison, an Old Dominion, a Marshall. That's three schools that are much more geographically friendly to them so they can say, hey, we don't like you, we don't like you, we don't like you. We've got a reason to not like you. They've just not really had an intense rivalry. And app a little bit since they've been fighting for the top of the league the last couple of years. But I would say that Georgia Southern is probably their most consistent rival, and it hasn't been a great one. Most of the time when we play, the weather is bad. The last two times in Statesboro, it has rained terribly. Eagles got the three-overtime victory in 19. Coastal dominated the 2021 game. Even though the stats don't show it, Coastal dominated that game. The Eagles really didn't have a chance. And I think back to the 2020 game a lot when the Eagles went up there and Coastal had just gotten into the top 25. Georgia Southern was 3-1. and one. We didn't know if Coastal was as good as everybody said they were. It was a 14-14 game in the fourth. And Coastal made plays. Georgia Southern didn't. Coastal ended up going 11-0 that year, lost their bowl game, and they haven't taken a step back since. So they look at that Georgia Southern victory as their launching off point, their trampoline, if you will. And I think that Georgia Southern, even though they've got that win against Nebraska this year, that they need to show it against a league team. And I think it's good that they get a league foe like Coastal to start things off. Absolutely on that. I mean, I think Coastal is – prove throughout the years that they're maybe they're not the best in, in, in the east but they've been at top the last how long have they been playing fo football though this is their 20th year so they've been around since 03 okay um moving on to the last thing uh real quick uh because i probably catch you longer than you wanted to but uh, I, i'm sure you know judge tied the yankees record which is the american league record for home runs in a season. Is it time with the change in the schedule coming up uh, next year uh, with a balanced schedule playing American League teams and National League teams, is it time to get rid of American? I mean, maybe not get rid of is the wrong word because I love the fact 
that baseball <clears throat> baseball protects its records saying, you know, this was done in this many games and so on and so forth, where football just says, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Eric Dickerson has the most rushing yards, but let's not talk about that he had 14 or six more games than yeah, OJ, uh, OJ ran for 2014 games the year that he did it. Yeah, and, and well, Jim <laughs> Brown's record was in 12 games. Yeah, you know, so uh, football does nothing to protect their records, which is which is so frustrating for me. But is it time for baseball to give up the? I mean, did we need to break in to see Judge uh, break a Yankee record or a American League? Not break it even to tie it in every baseball game that was around. I'm not sure what you're asking. Well, so uh, Major League Baseball on the MLB app broke into all the games showing judges at bat to tie Roger Maris's record. Yeah. Not not break it. Is it time to to kind of get rid of that American League record and National League record? Since, you know, there was a day, as you know, American League teams played only American League teams. And then we also had American League umpires and National League umpires. I mean, is it time? To, uh, baseball doesn't have NFC records and AFC records, you know. I I, I think every sport is unique in, in and to itself. With we love football for reasons. We love football. We love basketball for reasons. We love basketball, and baseball fans are a little bit different, especially with the times that we've talked. It's baseball's got more history than any other sport. It's been the longest standing professional sport it goes back to I mean 1869 when your Reds formed their team and it, it's so steeped in its history and that's why baseball has trouble marketing itself now because a lot of its key players are unrecognizable to a mass group of fans and it's unfortunate but from what you asked I I, I, I don't know I, I'm more of a I love numbers and from a purist standpoint, because one league had the DH and one league didn't, I think it makes sense because your offenses are totally different over the course of 154, 162 games. It might seem small game by game, but over all of that much, five and six months, it creates a different set of circumstances from one league to the other. And I know now that the DH is universal, which is probably the right move, even though I'm a purist and I think the pitchers should still hit. I'm just, thank you. I, I'm of that camp. I'm just, thank I'm an old man. Much. I'm 37, but I'm an old man. I, that's what I believe. I, maybe if Rob Manford wants to add that to the list of changes, if that's something they want to do, then so be it. But baseball is so great because it hasn't been touched for so long. Yes. Teams are going to move. That's part of growth and progress, but making the bases bigger, banning the shift, pitch clocks. Baseball was great because it was natural. It's life. It flows. Sometimes it's fast, 215, 220. People that broadcast clamor for those games every night because you get it evening, but sometimes you get your 340s. You get your 15 and 17 inning games. You get your rain delays. Baseball mirrors life more than any other sport because you've got to figure out how to deal with it. You can't change the parameters to meet the way that you want it to look because 
you're going to realize that the game is the game and you're going to try to flatten the seams. You're going to try to change the cover of the ball, reduce the bat length, the bases, move the fences in, move the fences out, move home plate back, make sure the dugouts are closer. You're going to keep trying to make baseball this idea of what you think it should be when if you just would have left it be and left it alone, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Well, we don't need five minutes in between innings. That's part of the problem. I mean, let's go. To, I know it's money, Danny, but now they've got now they've got freaking commercials in the middle. When a guy's at bat, they're going, let's take a quick break here. And Look, when the argument is we need to make game time shorter, they just need enough time to be able to play as many commercials as possible to get the game in in the time that they want it. Look, most of the time, I know that the minor leagues have done amazing work with this. Minor league baseball is a lot different than major league baseball. Game times drop by a half hour. That's pretty significant. If we're talking about five minutes, are we really going to split hairs over that? I I'm talking about five minutes per inning. Okay, that's all right. You're looking at 45 minutes, then that, that's a big deal. But if we're talking about five to 10 I, minutes yeah, per I, game, I, is, is that really enough to say, well, on average, this game is 230 now instead of 236? By golly, I'm going to give it my full attention. No, it's, it doesn't work like that. I, I absolutely agree with that. My, and, and obviously, we're going to need a whole nother, uh, uh, episode on this one baseball season starts with with the rule change because you touched on a lot of things there so i'm just going to go ahead and move on but i absolutely agree with you uh last thing that was lost i think with everything that uh judge did last night and this is strictly from a cajun fan uh coming but uh garrett cole tied ron gidry's 248 strikeouts in a in a season and which was an amazing stat to me as well, even though Rogers Maris has obviously been around a lot longer. And it's a little shocking that in the steroid era, no one broke it on the, and that's the funny part is no one broke it on the American league side, which was even more of, of a little bit judges history there. And I know I just, I just combined two topics there. So I apologize, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'd have trouble with that one too, especially since, at least two of your ballparks in the American League are extremely hitter-friendly in Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. But I would also say that maybe in the American League you have more hit-by-pitches because pitchers can't hit for themselves, so more guys have to wear pitches. So maybe that takes away at-bats that could have helped somebody go from a 50 to a 62 in one year. I, maybe that's far-fetched, but maybe, maybe that's something to think about. But but is it also something that we don't think about on on the defensive side of the ball on the pitching side? We're not uh, a pitcher is not coming up to bat, so he's not maybe not uh, he might have been pulled quicker than he would have if he was playing in the National League where they didn't have a DH. They might have let him go a little bit longer, but his spot was coming up, and they felt like they need to hit for him. Something to it for so, sure. No, Danny, uh, Danny. Appreciate it as always. One, I know I said, but one last question. Okay. Any kicker story, foreign sticker kicker stories? I, I spoke with J.D. Crabtree, and he talked about uh, uh, an Australian guy that, that was the holder on on uh, on uh, field goals, and the ball hit the ground, and he just kind of let it, moved his hands away because it hit the ground. He thought it was dead, 
and then and the, and the kicker was coming up and didn't understand why the kicker didn't just kick it off the ground. <laughs> That's funny. So I didn't know about that. So I told him about a story that when I was in high school, our 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 high school kicker was from Iran. His name was Turaj Badi. And yes, it was during the Iranian crisis and everything, but the, he goes, it's a spring game though, but he goes and he kicks the ball right-footed. It's blocked. It's coming back at him. And he kicks the ball left-footed over the goalpost. And I'm like, no, you can't kick it again because he was a <laughs> soccer player. He <laughs> did not understand that as well. Why you couldn't hit it a second time. So any fascinating kicker stories that you can share with, I know that I threw that on you. Well, I mean, with, with young like who emigrating to the country from Korea and not speaking English until he was in middle school and then to go up to the state of New Jersey and be uh, a talented wide receiver and defensive back. And then he was, really? he had played, he, oh yeah, dude, young like who's an athlete now and he was playing soccer, but they realized that he could kick a football better than he could kick a soccer ball. And he told us about the recruiting pitch that Jeff Munkin had to get him to Statesboro. And it took him a while to realize his potential. He's actually really good as a freshman, but then got caught up in the in the muck a little bit the next two years. But he, I think he was 31 to 35 in field goals here in his career. He only missed one field goal in 2016. That's when Tyler Bass was down here and he redshirted. So you had two NFL kickers on Georgia Southern at the same time. And now he's pro bowler with the, with the Atlanta Falcons. And I think that CNN did a really cool story about his upbringing and how he made the transition from Korea to being an unmistakable part of the culture. And in, in Atlanta, he is loved. He it's, it's so cool that he got a chance because in the very short time of the AAF, he was kicking for the Atlanta legends and their home games were where Georgia state plays and he didn't miss kick field goal, PAT, whatever. So the league disbanded. The NFL, the Falcons, gave him a shot. And this is somebody that had been a social media favorite for years. He had the the kick at Eagle Creek, the practice fields, where he made a field goal, but he did a full backflip while he had made the kick. And it's out there somewhere. If you could find it on on Twitter or TikTok, it's it's somewhere in the ether out there. If you want to find the video, it's, it's one of the most athletic things you'll see anybody do. So people knew who Youngway Koo was before all of this, but for the Falcons to give him a chance after the Chargers and the Patriots both cut him, and now he's one of the top kickers in the league, and to know that he came from here, that, that that's decent. Well, I wish he was with a different team than the Falcons, but we won't go into that. <laughs> all we'll say is 28-3 to three right now. So, Danny, thank you as always. Anything else you'd like to add before we sign off, though? You said this is week five, is that right? This is, uh, yes, going to start week five of football. Okay, for those that have a chance to just enjoy college football this week, good luck to everybody. For those that won't be as fortunate, for those that are getting affected by Ian and had to displace, or if something unfortunate happened to you and yours, hope you can get things figured out. And and there, there's always going to be somebody out there to help you, whether it's in Florida, South Carolina, if anybody gets hit in Georgia or wherever the storm decides to go, but just to take care of you and yours. And if you get a chance to enjoy the games this weekend, hope you have fun doing it. Yeah. And I just want a, a huge shout out to uh, Georgia Southern uh, hosting. Uh, I shouldn't say hosting, but allowing the trucks, uh, the electrical trucks to yeah. park at the football field as a staging area. 
uh, to help those in need. So uh, great call there, Danny. Appreciate that. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. So you've been listening to We're Talking tonight, Craig Melosa and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. And we'll talk to you next week. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.